0: Hello, welcome to Discovering Jazz. My name's Larry Saidman here in Victoria, B.C. For the next hour, you and I are going to discover some great jazz, including some on the fringes of the genre, sponsored by Peterborough Independent Podcasters. Part two of my three-part series on the saxophone, an instrument whose popularity seems to be unique to jazz. Or is it? Here's five minutes of a 17 minute modern classical piece. That's part of a concert in London's Royal Albert Hall from september sixteenth, nineteen ninety five. A concert series of new works called The Night of the Proms that is called Panic for Alto Saxophone, Drum Kit, and Orchestra, composed by Harrison Bertwistle. John Harrell is on The Alto Sax with Paul. Clarvis on drum set and Colin Davis conducting the BBC Symphony Orchestra. I only played the first five minutes of it, but throughout the 17 minutes, the alto sax is everywhere. It's one illustration of how the saxophone, while being mainly a jazz instrument, is a lot more than that. I'll talk a bit more later about the role of the saxophone in classical music, and I'll even have a guest. The saxophone was first used in military bands in the 1800s, and it was popular because it was capable of being played at volumes much higher than other woodwinds. It took a while for the saxophone to be taken seriously by musicians. The instrument's always been made of brass, but because of how it produces its sound, it's a part of the woodwind family rather than the brass family, like the clarinet and the flute. Today I want to talk a bit about its evolution, mainly in jazz, but also present some of the role that it had in other types of music. In the early days of jazz, it wasn't commonly used, but when swing and jump jive came around in the 1930s and what we now know as big band music, the instrument then became known as a jazz instrument. Then, in the early days of rock and roll, it also had a major role. But you could hear the saxophone in jazz in the 1920s. The first well-known jazz saxophone virtuoso was Sidney Bechet, a contemporary of Louis Armstrong. Born in 1897, died in 1959. His saxophone was the soprano sax, although he was also accomplished on the clarinet. And he was known for his voice-like tone and bluesy style of improvisation. Let's play something by Sidney Bechet. For something from the 1920s, then I'm going to follow it with a later recording from 1947. First, from 1924, with Louis Armstrong on cornet and vocals by Alberta Hunter and Clarence Todd. Here is "Cake Walking Babies from Home," Sidney Bechet with the Red Onion Jazz Babies. <laughs> What a tone, what a vibrato. Sidney Bechet Quartet from 1947. The tune is called Song of Songs. Before that, again Sidney Bechet on the soprano sax, this time with Cake Walking Babies from Home from 1924. Today, talking again about saxophones. Just one more from those very early saxophone masters, before Coleman Hawkins took saxophone into another dimension. This is from 1927, and it's Frankie Trumbauer playing a C melody sax, which was somewhere between a tenor and an alto. It's his classic Singin' the Blues with Bix Spiderbeck on cornet, Jimmy Dorsey on clarinet, and Eddie Lang guitar. The C melody sax of Frankie Trombauer from 1927, and a recording that influenced many future saxophonists called Sing in the Blues. According to one source, it was uh, Trombauer's dry tone and calm introspective style that was so influential. I teased you a few moments ago by mentioning Coleman Hawkins. It has been said, well, at least by one musicologist, that uh, before Hawkins, tenor saxophone solos were mooing and rubbery belches. I've played his classic recording of Body and Soul on my podcast a couple times in the past, and I'd probably be charged with a criminal offense if I didn't play it here on a program about the development of saxophone playing in jazz. Well, charging can convict me, because instead of playing that amazing 1939 recording... I'm going to go back 10 years and play the first of what has been called Hawkins' Ballad Trilogy. This is called One Hour. The group called themselves the Mound City Blueblowers, and soloists uh, include Red McKenzie on the comb and Glenn Miller on trombone, as well as Coleman Hawkins from 1929. (laughs) I've been arrested by the jazz police who tell me that I must play the classic version of Body and Soul with Coleman Hawkins' 64-bar tenor sax solo, where he does all sorts of double-time playing and never plays a melody, not at the end and not at the beginning. From 1939, Coleman Hawkins and his orchestra, Body and Soul. Coleman Hawkins' Body and Soul from 1939, and before that he soloed on One Hour from 1928, demonstrating that what he was doing on Body and Soul, improvising over harmonies rather than melodies and playing with rhythm, is something that he built up to over at least 10 years. Let's talk about the saxophone more generally, including its role in non-jazz settings such as rock and roll, rhythm and blues, and classical music and elevator music, of course. In terms of classical, let's hear from Al Bags, a saxophonist, raconteur, and self-taught musical scholar from Peterborough, Ontario, who I had the pleasure of playing with and interviewing in 2018. You can hear more of him if you listen to two of my earlier episodes of Discovering Jazz, episodes 28 and 37, on the cross-pollination of classical and jazz and Bach. And jazz. Here is Al Baggs talking about the use of the saxophone in more quote unquote respectable circles, that is, classical music.
1: The saxophone, especially the alto, uh, makes um, respectable contributions in, in, in so many orchestral and chamber music creations by French and other composers. Uh, some examples are Cacciaturian sabre dance, um, Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue and An American in Paris, uh, Millot's La creche en uh, uh and Scaramouche, which is a kind of interesting piece I like to play. Um, Bernstein scores. Uh, he wrote a swinging jazzy ballet called Fancy Free, upon um, which none other than Billie Holiday um, crooned a song called Big Stuff. Shostakovich, uh, probably the, the greatest composer and orchestrator of, of the 20th century, was enamored of the saxophone's tonal possibilities. And um, I mean, just listen to the opening bars of waltz number two uh, from his Jazz Suite
0: number two. I'm going to play just the first 40 seconds of Shostakovich's waltz number two from Jazz Suite number two, where you hear the alto saxis. Now I'll play the first movement of Skyramouche by Darius Mio, a composition he wrote originally in 1937 for two pianos, then scored it for alto saxophone two years later. This performance is by the St. Olaf Orchestra, conducted by Stephen Admondson and Sean Miller on alto saxophone. Darius Mio, one of the 20th century composers who made use of the saxophone and that was Scaramouche, First Movement with Sean Miller on alto sax. I'm going to have more from Al Baggs and the saxophones' role in even more modern classical and third stream music next week along with a number of jazz saxophone masters. But right now, we need to rock and roll. One man who is almost a household name in the 1950s and 60s. Well, maybe in my household anyway. (laughs) Because of his wild saxophone playing was King Curtis, who died in 1971 at the age of 36 after being stabbed to death. Here he is with a 1959 record by the Coasters. This is the B-side of Along Came Jones. It's an homage to King Curtis and his tenor sax. That is rock and roll in the beginning there were nothing but rocks
1: then somebody invented the wheel and things just began to roll.
2: did you ever hear a
0: Coasters with King Curtis. Let's stay with rock and roll and go to Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Wes Stakus and the Rockin' Rebels employed a saxophone player named Ron Park, who also died in 1971. Jazz writer Mark Miller, in his wonderful book called Jazz in Canada, 14 Lives, described Ron Park as likely being a candidate for uh, international recognition. Here he is playing with Wes Dakis and the Rebels Sidewinder from nineteen sixty four. Not the same tune Lee Morgan wrote and recorded, but Ron Park gets a saxophone solo. Let's hear it. <laughs> Astakas and the Rebels with jazz saxophonist Ron Park from 1964. Let's go back to the evolution of the saxophone in jazz. I'll save Ben Webster and Lester Young to next week, since I did talk about them before in my series of podcasts on Time Life's Giants of Jazz. And I'll go right to the great Charlie Parker. Alto saxophonist Charlie Parker and trumpeter Dizzy Gillespie together have been credited as being the inventors of bebop, and perhaps as a result, they were perhaps the first modern jazz musicians. Even if they did develop their style in the 1940s, I suspect that Charlie Bird Parker has had a greater influence on today's saxophonists than anybody else. The melodies and harmonies that Charlie Parker would play were so much more complex than anything that had been done before, and he'd often change keys several times in a phrase, but somehow still resolve the harmonic motion, getting back to the primary key. And he played fast. That came from practicing his alto sax for about 15 hours per day for at least four years. Here is The Bird Gets the Worm from 1947. Charlie Parker. <laughs> Charlie Parker with Miles Davis trumpet, Duke Jordan piano, Tommy Potter on bass, and Max Roach drums. Then there is Sonny Rollins, a tenor saxophonist who had great clarity and had a great sense of melody. He would transcend the chord progressions of any tune and spontaneously set new melodies to them. Melody was his primary tool in his improvisations. He also used a lot of silence to set off short phrases. And like Charlie Parker, many of Sonny Rollins' compositions have become jazz standards, such as Oleo, Doxy, Tenor Madness, and Erigen, as well as his adaptation of a Caribbean tune that he called St. Thomas. And of course, We also have John Coltrane, who I've played so many times on this podcast. And there's the famous recording of Coltrane and Rollins playing together, the only time they did on record. And you're going to hear this. Coltrane takes the first solo here and Rollins the second. And you can hear the contrast. They complement each other so well. As one reviewer said, Coltrane had the chops and Rollins had the soul. With Red Garland on piano, Paul Chambers bass, Philly Joe Jones drums, tenor madness, Sonny Rollins and John Coltrane. Sonny Rollins and John Coltrane, Tenor Madness. I will be talking about and playing more great saxophonists next week, including the great Wayne Shorter, some more modern ones, including some free jazz players, as well as uh, more use of the saxophone in modern classical music. But I want to end today's episode on the saxophone with somebody close to home. He lives in my city of Victoria, B.C., and I've had the pleasure of hearing him a few times. His name is Roy Steiff, and I've played him a couple times before with the jazz offshoot of the Naden Band of the Royal Canadian Navy. Here he is from a duet album called Dream World with B.C. pianist George McFetridge from 2009, and here he's on soprano sax. The tune is his own composition called Hope. My name is Larry Sademan saying bye for now, inviting you to tune into part three of the jazz saxophone on Discovering Jazz next week.